Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Carlos Cuddle. Nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. So it's a lot of hard work, and, and it's a lot of worrying constantly. And uh, if you don't love it, you're going to fail. So you got to love it, you got to have passion. Check one, two. Yo, what's up, ladies and gentlemen? My name is DJ Rick Monster. Welcome to another episode of the Monster Mash. Today, I have a, a special co-host today, uh, my boy Vic Monster. Yo, what's good, everybody? Sitting in, uh, really excited about today's conversation, actually. So, yeah, today is my first actual recording at the new studio. We call it, I, I call it the Monster Mash Studios 2.0 because, you know what I'm saying, the original one was at my house, but I, had, I, I grew the crib, so... We we got me and Vic got a little something going together. Um, a new studio. We plan on doing some cool shit here, but uh, yeah. Today I have a a special guest, special guest that I've been I've been I've been seeing him for a long time. But he's like always in the shadows type of shit. You know what I'm saying? He's like a monk. That if you don't know about this, guy, like the old school know about him. Us, we're, me and Vic, we're kind of in the middle. Like the middle school, I guess you, I don't know what the fuck you want, you want to call it, but mm-hmm. the younger guys definitely don't know about this guy. I think Carl- I'm not I'm not into astrology. My bad to cut you off, but not I think good. if if uh, today like all the moons and loner everything yeah. is in the line. I think yeah. there's yeah. no there's no Gatorade and and retro or not no yeah. retro ones or whatever they call yeah. it. It's everything. Retrograde. <laughs> I don't I don't know nothing about that. You know what I'm saying? I'm buying a lottery ticket today. Okay, we're we're doing that. We winning too. <laughs> Uh, Carlos Cutter, man. What's up, man? How you doing? What's going on, everyone? Thanks for coming on the Monster Man. Yeah, thanks for having me. No doubt, man. How's everything going? Everything's going all right, you know. Struggling and surviving on a daily basis. Oh, and, that's on the uh, regular you know, over here, too, baby. That's, uh, you know, that's just life. Yep. Indeed. So, like I said, oh, man, you're, you're a person that I've been um, seeing for years on YouTube videos from the 90s, <laughs> scratching. Um, whereas, I mean, I messaged you myself. Saying, teach me the ways of the funk. You know what I'm saying? I've, I've seen you scratch less than five times, maybe, maybe in in real life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But every time I've seen you, you get fucking busy. <laughs> and I'm, I'm I'm happy to have you on. You know what I'm saying? I, I think Vic Vic feels the same way. Man, we're 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 kind of like we're definitely no vices, novices compared to what you got going on. You know what I'm saying? We're we're little kids. You know what I'm saying? But we want to learn the ways no, of the force. Respect. So I guess I want to start off like, um, how did you get into DJing? What, what years did you start getting oh, into man. DJing? You know, I, in preparation of this, you know, I started really thinking about where there's a starting point. And there's no real definitive start point because I was kind of, it's, it's kind of crazy because it's all intertwined with 
people I grew up with um, and people that I knew from my childhood and then circumstances that happened here and there that led me kind of into being a DJ and being really interested in it. And uh, so it's, it's kind of a, there's no real, I guess if I could really pinpoint a particular year, it would probably be 88, 89. Um, my, uh, I, had a, I had a cousin who came up from Texas. His name is Jorge. And he's, uh, you know, my family, there's a lot of women. And uh -huh. there's only myself, my cousin Jorge, and then my baby cousin Julio was like, he was really young. So growing up, that, that's it. Everyone else mm -hmm. is girls. Yeah. And so uh, he and I would always hang out. And I think at the time I was into skateboarding. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was getting kind of stale and we were kind of into it, but we kind of weren't. And um, we had uh, a, a different set of cousins that they lived right around the corner from us. I grew up on Rockton Avenue and Acorn Street. And right around the corner, literally our backyards butted up against each other with my second cousins. And they would, they had cousins that they'd go to Elgin and visit. And while they were there, they used to record the mixes on WBMX. Mm. Um, so uh, and it, was it was house music mixes. And at the Did time- Did where they were recording? No, they would go to Elgin, oh, okay, and they would record okay, yeah. it there, and then they would bring the, they would bring ah, the cassette okay, tapes yeah. here. And then back in those days, we had the double cassette decks, so people would make copies, and yeah, they would, yeah, yeah. They the copies of, of the mixes would end up floating around. And my sister, my older sister, uh, she really liked uh, house music, and I was, I was kind of feeling it, but I kind of wasn't. Mm -hmm. uh, due to the skateboarding influence, there was a lot of hip-hop influence in skateboarding, and uh, so I was more into hip-hop... And um, at that time, my sister really liked, it was more like freestyle, what we, what we used to call Miami, Miami house. And uh, it was a lot of vocal house and a lot of songs about love, which for me at the time didn't really, mm -hmm. didn't really catch my attention. Um, and then uh, soon afterwards, uh, it came the hip house era of Chicago okay. hip house. And because I already, I already liked rap, you know, hip house was like, man, that really caught my attention. And, and the way they, uh, the MCs would rap really fast. And so my cousin George and I were like, damn. And uh, we started really paying attention. And from that, that's, we started messing with, uh, uh, if, if, we, if we heard a mix that we liked and we didn't like, so the DJ played a song we liked. And then the next song was like something we didn't like. We would, cut, we would cut, we didn't understand mixes back then. Mm -hmm. We would cut that, <laughs> we'd cut that new song off and we'd, we'd overdub with something of our own. So we would end up with like a compilation of all the songs oh, okay. that we liked. So we called that mixes, but they weren't really mixes with vinyl and a mixer. Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, that was my first foray into editing with the, with the pause on the, yeah, on the cassette yeah, yeah. deck. And that was, I would probably say 88, 89. And, uh, then I had my another cousin on my dad's side, uh, who was from Chicago, and uh, his name is Adrian. He he started DJing in Chicago, and uh, he ended up moving to Rockford, and we ended up going to the same high school together. And uh, he uh, he ended up giving me a couple records and sold me my first turntable, and. Uh, I was like a fiend for house music at that point, you know. I, like that what, was what, like, what clicked in your head that from from when from when you didn't like it? Well, I mean, you weren't feeling it as much. So when you you're like, what what 
what you real what did you realize and how things like you were like it was the hip hop. It was a lot harder. Oh, okay, okay. Like uh, Tyree, Cooper, Tyree, type. Fast Eddie, Cool Rock Fast Steady. Eddie. Yeah, those guys. Um, and, and the beats were at that time for that that time it was hard and it was fast. It was a lot faster than you know like the freestyle beats and the freestyle beats always sounded a little softer and a little bit more electro eighties. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, early 80s and. Um, for whatever reason, the hip hop sounded more futuristic for me, and it sounded harder and, and it faster. So that's that's what really changed it for me. So what what was the the hip hop you were listening to before that? At that time, it was probably I mean this was eighties, so this was the late eighties. It, it was Run DMC, Ice T, Public Enemy, mm-hmm. Beastie Boys, Karis One, Boogie Down Productions, yeah, uh, that type. Yeah. Yeah, I guess '88 was the KRS type era, you know. Yep. Kane, Big Daddy Kane. Big Daddy Kane, absolutely. For sure. But yeah, there was also a lot of um, mixing where, like, say a DJ from Chicago would mix a Big Daddy Kane record in with the house music. Yeah, because some of those are like one. Right, it was up tempo. About one ten, one fifteen. So they would just speed it up and mix it with the house music. I thought that was dope. So. Hell yeah. So when when did the DJing for you come into play? DJing for me came into play when, um, like, whenever I'd go to, like, uh, weddings or, you know, quinceanera or something like that, mm-hmm. I, I would never, I was always really socially awkward and shy, so I would never go out and mingle with people. I would always stay right by the, the, DJ. the DJ booth, mm-hmm. and I, would always, I was always really interested in what technically was going on, because, like... Especially DJs from like a you know like a an event type that doesn't have turntables. They just had like a big mixer, like a big stage mixer, yeah. thousand buttons. And I was always wondering like what that all was. Um, but yeah, I, I would always gravitate towards you know the music um, as opposed to being uh, running around social. with the kids, or right. whatever, chilling with them, whatever. What were those DJs playing? Uh- because this was before you got into it, so this was mid '80s, maybe. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they'd play whatever you know, like take requests, pop music, Spanish music. Yeah. You know, as a um, you know, obviously growing up. For those that don't know me, I'm, I'm Cuban and Mexican. My dad is Cuban, my mom's Mexican. So, you know, growing up Latino, you're gonna go to a lot of family functions, yeah. and you know, it's it's all the time. So. So they were they weren't really doing like too much of the mixing. No, just okay, okay. But I, you know, I was always really interested in that. Mm. Um, okay, um, big question. What was your first pair of, like turntables? Like, <laughs> did you have belt drives? Did you have fucking? It's kind of hard. The radio to, shack mixer. Well, for me, well, it's kind of hard to, to pinpoint. Like I said, when I was trying to, I'm trying to think. Um. Growing up, uh, you know, I would always gravitate towards the, you know, the, the sound guy. But then, um, so at school, I knew a couple of people from, uh, like, around the way, people who I grew up with. Um, and I would ask them, like, hey, do you guys like house music? Are you guys into mixing? Mm-hmm. And somebody introduced me. It was actually uh, my boy, Ivan. He introduced me to DJ Acid. Okay. Back in those days, he was called Acid, Acid Vic. Vic. Exactly. Yeah. What school was this? This was at East High School. Okay. Okay, you guys are already in high school. We're already time. in high school at this point. Um, so he introduced me. To, they introduced me like, yeah, we know this guy, DJ Acid. And I think we skipped class and 
we came and he at that time he was living over by like the Zamudos, Granita, mm-hmm. and uh, went over there and went down to his basement. He was banging some music. We're like, damn. Loud and as fuck. Uh, loud as hell, yeah. That, that's probably why he's deaf now. <laughs> he says, you know what I'm saying? Yo, uh, that's no joke, man. I'm, <laughs> when you guys were talking, I could I could only make mm. out part of it because I have 20% hearing loss in this ear. I don't even know. I think this ear is still good, but really, yeah, man. Like those those decades will. Man. I was telling Vic, man. I mean, I don't have any. I don't think I have any hearing problems, but after so long of just having these headphones on, and I have them on at work too, all the time, loud as fuck. And I like to record like these podcasts loud like because you, the machines around me are so fucking loud. So I got I want to hear it, you know. So I want to go and get checked out just to see. I'm gonna talk to you later. We'll talk. <laughs> I'm some old man shit. I need to talk to you. But for uh, side note, man, take care of your ears though. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. Your most essential. Always protect. If you work at a place where they give earplugs to cut your yard and do take them home. Wear your PPE. There you go. There you go. PPE. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so once I met Vic, um, he didn't have he didn't have Technics twelve hundreds. He had like back in the day, it was really really difficult to get some decent turntables. So yeah. what we ended up doing was, if we went to a thrift shop or a garage sale, mm-hmm. or we see a pile of trash, somebody was throwing up, like oh, there's a turntable over there. We'd, yeah. we'd you know go and grab it and see if you know we could we can modify it in yeah. some way. We would. Uh, sometimes the, the feet would have springs. We'd be a springy turntable, so we would mm-hmm. disassemble it, remove the springs. We'd add quarters. We'd add extra weights. We'd take the tone arm weight off of one turntable, put on another. You had straight like, MacGyvering it up. Straight what, up. Whatever you know, you could do to make it work. Exactly. Uh, so the first turntables I ever scratched on were Vicks, and um, I don't know. There were like some Pioneer '80s, '70s Pioneer direct drives. And he had an Addis AM100 mixer that he would let me borrow from time to time. And at that time, I was about, I'd say, 15 years old. So I wasn't old enough to drive, but my older sister did. So I would be like, please take me over to Victor's house. You know, <laughs> take me over to Vic's. And, um, and she ended up liking the music, too. Like, um, and she and Victor actually ended up dating for a small, oh, okay. for, for a period of time, like, oh, like a year or two. Okay. So while they'd be up, upstairs watching a movie or something. You're over there just I, playing, I, on the yeah, playing on the turntables. Playing on the turntables. Go ahead. I'm, I'm oh, sorry. And my mom was always like the the type to be like, well, if you're going to go hang out with your boyfriend, you got to take your little brother. Yeah, yeah. You know, you how, love you know that, how it like, is. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, cool. At this point, you're like, yeah, fuck it. Let's yeah. do that. <laughs> did that mixer have a crossfader? Those have? It did have a crossfader, mm. but um, those early mixers. They didn't have obviously a user replaceable crossfader, and they weren't really made for scratching. So you would scratch on it, and after you know two three months, it would start crackling, and it would it wouldn't serve its function anymore. Yeah. It would not. You'd be scratching it. It's like you're not even using a yeah. crossfader. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would end up using like turn the mixer sideways, and you, then we and would use the, use the line mm-hmm. fit. Yeah. So we would try to rig anything up. To try to get it to do what we want it to do, so. Man, I mean, you guys, yeah, man, you guys gotta make whatever <laughs> at the time. It's not like nowadays where you could just buy a Jesse Dean fader and then just put right. in a new one and call it a day, whatever. And then, uh, you know, they they came out with like the Gemini Scratchmaster mixers, I believe, and they had like, uh, you could buy user replaceable crosshairs with a clip. Those were like the first ones to come out 
in the early 90s, and man, our minds were blown. It was like, ah, we could just buy extra faders and we wear them as much as we want. But obviously, the, the technology has come a long way. But yeah, those first few years, man, it was a struggle, no doubt. So you come from an era where scratching is part of DJing, obviously. That's just, if you don't know how to scratch as a DJ on top of mixing and doing all that. Perfect example, like a bad boy Bill. Oh, he yeah. did house music, but he also scratched, which is not something that house DJs are known for. Not really. But I guess it's something, maybe a Chicago thing. Probably. And he always uh, did the street, he called his, his mixes and his promotion company called the Street street DJ Promotions and Street Style Mixes. Um, so he would, he would mix elements. He would combine elements of hip-hop DJing with the house. Mm-hmm. So not only did he blend and synchronize the rhythms and the tempos together, but he also sc- scratched and he also did what we'd call doing doubles, yeah. which would take two copies yeah. of the same record and you would you would cut, you would make the, the song shorter by editing out and you'd, you'd move to the break quicker yeah. so you could fit more songs within your 30-minute period or whatever mm-hmm. it was that you're mixing. The meat of the record, the one, the part that, you know, the everybody meat, likes. That's what I call it. I call it the meat, the meat and potatoes. Of yeah, the, the meat of, and potatoes. Of the actual song. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he was, he was one of the ones that were the most famous for it. And, and Vic and I always looked up to, that was like probably the DJ we looked up to most growing up and tried to emulate. Well, um, I, I definitely could see, I, I could see it just the way that you, you guys scratch and shit. You know what I'm saying? That's not something that so many DJs do. Even to, uh, today, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there is there, there is a lot of scratch DJs, but there's also a lot of DJs that makes house music, and that's not even... I think the, 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 one of the things I really like about uh, your era, like that mid to late 80s era, is that you guys really did pull a lot from hip-hop culture mm-hmm. and never like discriminated, because there's like house and EDM DJs that don't like hip-hop. No, yeah. And, and you could tell in the way they, they perform, because they're not pulling those elements to make their mixes better. They're just like straight... I, I don't know what a lot of them do. Personally, I don't, I don't have a taste for it because it, it just feels really soulless. But you can tell when you, uh, despite whatever, they could be playing disco, they could be playing straight techno. But you can know, you can tell that where their roots are from, mm-hmm. the way they're mixing, scratching, even doing the doubles with like those high BPMs. It's, yep. it's crazy. And that's that's really one of the things I, I like about that. Like gen- an A-track, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. A-track's the one that, uh, somebody that, that uh, you, he'll be on the big stages, but he'll be scratching and shit too. And it sounds, it's not like, it's in rhythm, mm-hmm. it's not like, uh, I wouldn't even say it's out of the genre, yeah. it's not like too... It makes it tasteful. Exactly. And a lot of people, it's crazy when, when someone makes a post or something online and like they just hate rap, but it's like you're a DJ. Yeah, mm. yeah there was, I don't know where, at one point it happened, but maybe it was after the mid-90s, but there was a definite divide between the eras of, of maybe it was when gangster rap came in, but uh, there was a definite divide between hip house or I'm sorry, house hip hop and house. Yeah. Whereas back then it was just kind of all classified as party music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, whatever whatever sounded good, you just played it. Because back know? in the day, I mean you're talk, I'm talking about like early to mid seventies, they all played the same shit as far as DJs, you know what I'm saying? Really Where there'd be funk, disco. soul, R and B danceable R and B think about it. It all it all came from it all it all had the same origin. Yep. But at some point it broke. This was more mm-hmm. dancey and this was more more lyrics. Yeah. And um that's how we ended up with two separate genres. But really, 
you know, a lot of it, like as you said, derives from the disco and the funk and, and mm-hmm. even reggae and calypso yeah. and um, even Latin music as well. Yeah. There, there's influences of that in it as well. So, so did, do you think you started, what did you learn first? What did you start practicing first? Scratching or like actual blending the records? Actually, actually both. Um, both at the same time. Like, I would only have one, like, my very, very first setup in my bedroom was one turntable, a mixer, and a tape deck. So I would play, I'd play, like, a mix I recorded from the radio on the mm-hmm. tape deck, and then I would practice. Scratching and stuff. No, beat, ma- beat oh, matching. okay, okay. Um, and then, you know, I would do that for, like, maybe a half hour, 45 minutes, and then I would stop, and I'd rewind the tape. Or I'd find a different tape that just had something with just beats, mostly beats, and then I would scratch, learn how to scratch. And I was really awkward with it because um, I'm not left, I'm right-handed, but because Victor, Vic scratched on the left turntable, I also emulated that and started scratching on the left turntable as well. Mm. So because I'm not left-handed, it was really difficult. Mm. So I really wanted to learn how to scratch well. So I would, I would practice between both beat matching and scratching. So it really wasn't anything in particular that I could say I focused on more. I did mm-hmm. both because that was, you know, at that time, that's what you just, you just did, yeah. you know. I'm, I'm trying to dive deep into the your, your, your training regimen because I don't think, like, when I, when I, pra- I'm not even practicing more, but when I used to practice, it was all just like trying to learn how to blend. And then, you know, every once in a while you try to, Learn how to, you know, fuck around and scratch and shit. But, you know, a lot of times we didn't have the best needles, the best turntables. So my question is how you guys got everything to work where the shit wouldn't jump. You know what I'm saying? Like, where you guys, you guys obviously have to have almost soft hands. Like, the softer the hands, the the, the more you're able to finagle your hands. That way they, they don't push. But... But at the same time, when I see you scratch, bro, you being, you yeah, know, you be fucking. I told you this. You, I'm you're actually, like fucking super aggressive. Like, blah, blah, blah. I am. I, I, I think am, for man. the listeners, just re- real quickly on the technical end, uh, you know, turntables, uh, like the ones that you see at the record stores that actually play records, um, not so much the digital ones, and and uh, not trying to like segregate here or anything like that, but just talking like facts. Um, there's a lag, uh, depending on if there's a belt running it, a belt similar to like your treadmill or a actual molder that's right beneath the spindle. So with the belt ones, there is a lag when you're scratching. So you have to like really know how, you have to time your pushing or how yeah. m- how much weight you have on your hand. The push off. Because when you let go of the record, it's gonna be like a yep. So you have to know how to push it. And with the uh, turntables that have the direct molder, it's a lot better, it's more direct, but there's still like a difference. So uh, the turntables that they're using in, in these days are like, the house or the home stereo type of turntables that aren't really equipped for that. So you, like Rick mentioned, you have to really know how to finagle it and how to uh, kind of how to time it and how yeah. to adjust your weight and even your your like your body and your hip. It all really comes into play. So that's why like Rick and myself are always like very intrigued yeah. on how they learn these things. Yeah, I mean, you, even the, the height of the turntable where it is, you know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah, the height, you know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> I like mine pretty high, but I'm short too. So I mean, I, I don't need that much height, obviously. But you're a taller guy, so obviously, I don't know. It just, it just it intrigues me, like how Vic said. Yeah, we um, if we saw or found a turntable somewhere, 
we would always we would always pop the platter off to see if there's a belt drive. Because sometimes the, the turntable wouldn't tell you if it, you know it wouldn't be yeah. written on the the model number if it was belt driven or not. So we'd pop that off and see. Okay, it's direct drive. Nice. Well, first of all, very first thing we look at it, we see it's got an S-shaped tone arm. Mm-hmm. We're like, okay, good start. Mm-hmm. Pop it off, direct drive, awesome. We'd, we'd feel the feet. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's got springs in the feet. We can take care of that later. And then we would see if it was um, the tone arm height was adjustable. Because um, depending on how high end that particular, because a lot of these ter- first early turntables that we messed with were, you know, turntables from high end component systems. They weren't like, you know, like the turntable that my parents had growing up was like plastic and had a really long spindle so you can stack up like four or five mm. records and they would drop automatically. Um, and then the high-end uh, high end stereo component systems were much more robust. And so we would always check to see if it had those things, you know, the direct drive. And then we would take it home, uh, start disassembling it, and uh, then we would depending on what what head shell we had and what needle we had we would we would adjust the the tone arm the counterweight on the tone arm and then sometimes we'd have to throw a penny on it mm-hmm. or a quarter or whatever just to try to get some because if you put too much weight it would wobble and skip you didn't have enough weight on it it would wobble and skip and we would you know we, we were always hoarding all kinds of little things like brushes and uh you know, stylus brushes, toothbrushes, whatever it is, and you make sure there's no dust on it. Yeah. And we would always, uh, you know, it was just trial and error. And we didn't have like skipless, obviously we had no laptops, no, nothing skipless. We would just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we would just trial and error, just keep just keep going at it. It was, it was really annoying to like, you know, you'd be scratching and all of a sudden it would just skip and you'd your hand would just be stroking blank air. It was just like, so you'd have to go, and you'd have to bring it back one revolution, scratch again and skip again, bring it back another, you know, it was really annoying. Um, but, you know, it's those things that, um, that, that make you resilient to any problems that come up and um, we learned to just roll with it. So yeah, that's basically how we did it. We would uh, just rig anything up, trial and error. Do you, remember, do you remember DJing your first party? I do. It's kind of hazy because, this, you know, this is like 30 years, 30 years ago. Um, but uh, Vic's cousin, he had a cousin that lived right over by him on the south side. And uh, he threw a party in the garage. So I think I mixed there briefly. And then we had this other dude that lived off of uh, Kish, on Kishwaukee Street and threw a basement party. And that was the first time I remember having like a full blown set and having people dancing, and uh, it was super cool, man. Super super big rush, and hands are shaking and everything. Oh, and yeah. uh, sure. I remember half while halfway through the set, the because it was a basement and with all the people dancing, all this dust started falling from the mm-hmm. ceiling, landed on the records, and then all of a sudden. You hear the music, and all of a sudden, the needle would was gliding across the room. I'm like, what? What's going on? People were in my face yelling at, "What are you doing on music?" So I call out to Vic, and he comes out, and there was a humongous dust bunny Mm. on the needle, which made it, you know, not no no longer stay in the groove, and it just glided across. So, yeah, that was my my first party. Yeah. Um, when did you start? Didn't you start getting into competitions and stuff like that? I did um, because 
really, I don't, I don't. There was probably in the late mid to late nineties. There was a, um, I don't know, man. House music became more booty oriented. Everything was about like booty, booty, house. booty, booty house, and I wasn't really necessarily feeling that. And um, a lot of my friends started going more into uh, like the rave scene, mm-hmm. and I kind of liked that, but. I don't know. It wasn't really the same for me. And at some point, it seemed like there was a lot of people who who wanted to DJ, who started DJing, who weren't really. I don't know how to. I don't know. They weren't. They didn't seem genuine or sincere. And it seems like everybody wanted to DJ. And everyone. I don't know, man. It just seemed like there was an overnight explosion of of dance music DJs in the Rockford area. And for me, I was like, I wasn't feeling the music. I wasn't feeling the scene anymore. So I'm like, well, I'm, at that time, the people like the DMC competitions and the, the Invisible Scratch Pickles were really blowing up, mm-hmm. and turntables was really growing. So I thought, well, I'm just going to focus on that. And that's what I did. This was probably like 2002, 2003. And uh, I entered DMC a couple times. Um, but yeah, man, it's brutal. <laughs> It's hard. It, it is. It's, it's it, for me. It was because not only um, it was not only was my first few battles, but like when you go to a different city, and I would go up there by myself, and uh, you know my hands would be shaking, and you know you sweating, and you just uh, you're so nervous, and uh, you know then your needles skip, and I did that a couple times, and then I thought, nah. <laughs> I'd rather just enjoy the battles, and I, you know, I, I won a couple battles here and there, but um, I don't know. I, it, I just thought as I got older, I wanted to kind of focus on going back to college, and you know, I started thinking about the next step in my life because I think at that point I was already in my late late twenties, going into my thirties. So I really started thinking like I, I got to do something about my, you know, my other life outside of DJing, and. Um, you know, so the the DJing thing became more of just like a hobby at that point. Like it wasn't anything that I really wanted to pursue. So, yeah, I did that for I did the battling for a little while, but yeah, well, it didn't. I didn't become a world champion as I thought I was going to. But. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you probably could have, but I mean, the nerves is one thing that you have to shake off, and then yeah. if you get that through that, maybe you know what I'm saying. But shit. You know, that's hard to tell. Yeah. Plus, you know, when you're, you know, essentially in Rockford, if I'm preparing something for a DMC battle, I'm just doing it by myself. I don't have any feedback mm-hmm. from anyone. Everyone just tells me it's good. Yeah. Then I and go up to Chicago any, yeah. and I get my butt kicked. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's a lot different. Plus, at that time, the DMCs, I don't know how they were, how they, the rules were, but I mean, there was DJs from Rhode Island, DJs from all over. And these were like really, I mean, well known, dude. well known, and and yeah. So, yeah. did you did you uh, anybody did did you catch anybody's eye like anybody that that uh, no anybody I mean, come up to you that you were like oh shit like not really um, because I mean really at that point as far as battling goes I was still really an amateur and uh, so but I mean I got to meet a lot of cool people and I got you know. People would say, like, oh, that was dope, or I liked what you did here. I liked, you know, this technique that you did or whatever. That was cool. But, um, yeah, and that, I didn't get any sort of, like, uh, you know, I didn't catch anyone's eye, as you would say. Like, now with the, with the, 
newer um, equipment like nowadays, like controllers and all that stuff. Have, do you have a controller? Do you ever? Did you ever? Have you ever gotten into anything like that? You know, I um, right before we went into the the lockdown for the the COVID no- lockdown, I uh, bought a, um, a controller, and uh, I also bought um, my first mixer that was like that's an actual MIDI mixer, and I bought tractor and everything. Um, but yeah, I haven't really used it too much though, to be really right. honest with you. If I if I want to scratch, I just go into the basement and um, I literally have one turntable and my mixer, and then the other turntable has a bunch of wires and crap built up on it. So if I want to mix, I'll just go downstairs, I'll plug my phone in, and I'll just scratch. Yeah. Uh, I don't even really use the the other turntable, the, the fancy stuff. I mean, if I if I really feel like mixing, um, I'll just pull up my laptop and I'll I'll. I'll mess with the tractor, but it's I, not really your thing. You're not a purist. Really my thing. You're a purist at heart. Yeah, uh, or maybe that is because I don't really know how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> that too, maybe. <laughs> but I know I know that you can do a lot of cool things because um, back in the day, people like Hubert and and the Allies and A Track and Craze, they would press up their own copies of mm. stuff that they wanted, and and they won a lot of battles that way because their their routines were already laid out mm-hmm. pre. You know, it's already pre-pressed in the vinyl, so you know, you essentially, you could do the same thing now with digital DJ. Yeah. And maybe you know, maybe I'll I'll get to that point, but you know, I don't know. I'm a lot older now. I'm a father and a husband, and I got other responsibilities. And really, that's not you know a, a big priority. I still love it, and it's still a very a big part of my personality, who I am, and who I identify. You know, but uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what the future brings, and I don't know. We'll see. It's all good, man. Last time it was pre-pandemic. Last time I seen you, I yeah. think. Well, other than the photo, the, the big photo we did together. Yeah. But before that, we were at uh, Jam and Jen's, yep. and I was sitting in on you guys, scratch, and I was like, I was just in awe, <laughs> like fuck, dude. Scratch nights, man. I miss those scratch nights, man. We want to have. That's why we got this table because that's, that's nice. pretty much what we're gonna be doing here soon. You know, we need a couple, uh, a couple more mixers and stuff. But we'll essentially, that. we're gonna be having. The round table going on here. So sweet. Let me know. With uh, you know, uh, uh, something I'm really curious about. Um, you know, it's always important to note just the uh, era. You know, we're talking 80s and 90s. The information is not wasn't as tangible as it is now. You can't just YouTube like right now. You can go on YouTube and you know you learn a baby scratch immediately. Um, you know, for for Rick and myself, you know, we started as b boys, and a lot of the moves that we were doing, we didn't even know they had names or even the proper way to do it. Like my technique is terrible; it just always has been. But it's because I'm not saying I'm a bad. Doesn't mean I'm a bad breaker. It just means that I don't have the quote unquote proper technique because I was never taught. Um, so with your, you know, scratching is very similar to breaking as far as moves go. I mean, you got your, you know, flares and transformers and orbits and all these very intricate specific moves how did you start learning scratch scratches knowing what they were and then how to formulate them together because Man. because to the of someone who who doesn't know about turntablism or and doesn't care for it they just think it's a, a, a guy or a girl moving their record back and forth yeah. and then their other hand just clicking it you know but there is a lot going on with, between your fingers your thumbs your other hand manipulating the record it's it's very intricate, and I would honestly challenge or dare anyone to try it because it's not as easy as it looks. Yeah, I remember one time I 
was dating a girl a long time ago, and this was during the, the battle era for me. And uh, they had asked me, like, oh, where, where'd you go this weekend or whatever? I was like, oh, yeah, I was in a DJ battle. I was like, oh, what do you mean by that? He's like, oh, and I tried to explain it to him. He's like, oh, you mean, like, what they do, like, moving the record back and forth? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. yeah. He's like, they have whole competitions for that? He just yeah. thought it was so ridiculous. But, yeah, there's a lot of people that don't really understand because a lot of times if you see someone on a platform – and they're scratching. They obviously mastered their craft to the point where it just looks easy. Mm-hmm. But way back in the day, we didn't have YouTube. Obviously, there was no internet. We would just listen to mixes and listen to people like DJ Magic Mike or Bad Boy Bill, other D- other DJs from the Chicago area, and we would premiere premiere. Um, and we would uh, Terminator X from Public Enemy. Yeah. I remember that was a big mm-hmm. one too. Um, but actually. Terminator X, actually, I found out the later that it was a, a Puerto Rican guy named Johnny Juice um, who would do the uh, scratches on oh. the, I think, the first two Public Enemy Adams, uh, albums. But um, we would just listen to the tapes, and we would try to imagine what they were doing, yeah. mm-hmm. just using our imaginations. And then we would just we would just put headphones on and try to, try to scratch, you know, for hours, hours and hours and hours. Trying to figure out what rhythm that they were doing in that. Yes. In that. Trying to that's figure crazy, out the That's a crazy thing to think about. Yeah. To play something else and try to emulate, emulate it just by, oh, then when you finally get it, then it's like, it's just, it's just like a breakdancing move. Yeah. Practicing and then practicing and practicing until you get it down. And once you got it out, you're like, oh, fuck, I finally got it. You know? Man, I remember when I first started learning how to really scratch intricately, I, I would scratch for so long that when I would lift my arm up, it was super stiff. Like I didn't realize I had been I had been going mm-hmm. so long that when I once I moved straightened my arm out, it yeah. hurt. Yeah. It was like all cramped up. But yeah, it's it's uh, just I don't know, man. You got to be kind of OCD, I think, in some ways to really um, to perfect that. I don't know. That's wrong. That's tight. <laughs> I, I I wish I had the the, the know how to just just you know sit there with, with my fucking turntable just practice and practice and practice for hours. I uh, think it, it it gives you more like it it leaves more room for uh, like imagination to create. Yeah, I remember when someone first told me what an air flare was, and they tried to describe it to me, and I just couldn't like. Was they say a ninety with no hands or something like, like a flying ninety? Yeah. and I even tried to like. Do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I was way off until I actually saw an air flare on the mm-hmm. on the VHS tape. But for that period of time, I was creating what I thought was this move. So I ended up Just with my description. Right. I came up with some trash moves, but they were my own. You know what I mean? But with, with you guys trying to emulate what you're seeing because you have you don't know what they're doing and probably don't even have like the same uh, equivalent of equipment. You know, you guys are really making the best. And and I, I mean it it paid off because, you know, just from yeah you're gonna have to put a sample of him scratching before or sometime so yeah, people can kind of really listen. Yep. But you know it, it's paid off as far as your technique has gone. Yeah, uh, yeah, we would try to emulate it, but even even with the, all the hours of practice, we would try. You know, it never quite sounded exactly like mm-hmm. them. And it ended up sounding, you know, something original of of our own uh, creation, I guess. So, I guess it all worked out for the best. What was your first set of turntables where you knew, like, okay, now I got some like real, 
like a real like you'll feel a difference when you get yeah. a good mixer you'll feel a difference when you get a real even with controllers like there's low-end controllers and there's yeah. high-end controllers and you'll feel the difference immediately my first set of turntables actually my first set of turntables are technics 100s mm. which actual I, ones that you bought that were your home your home setup that were mine well i mean i had like a newmark mixer and i had a pot i had like two I had a, a Technics mixer, a, te- a Technics turntable that was not, it was an SLD2, and that was the one that my cousin Adrian had sold me, an SLD2, which is, it's, it's direct drive and it's sturdy like a 1200, but it looks, a, it's a little bit more low end and it doesn't have as many features and you can't adjust as many things on it. And I had a Newmark mixer. But it doesn't have a, it has an example? Yeah, I had, but there were like little, little rotary knobs. Mm. It wasn't a slider. Oh, okay. And um, and then I had like a turntable. I want to say Victor gave it to me, and it was like spray painted. <laughs> it was like mm-hmm. spray painted black, and uh, that's that was like my first setup. Um, and but you know most of the time like one turntable didn't work or it was warped or it was wobbly and so. Um, but my first first set of turntables were uh, Technical Hunters that I bought. Well, like third hand, like David Lopez, who's a I don't know if you guys know what Seco they call yeah. He had bought them, I believe, when he lived in Chicago. Then he ended up selling them to uh, my friend, uh, George. And then he ended up, one of them ended up getting busted. And then he ended up selling them to me. I, I was like 17, 16 or 17. I had gotten my very first income tax return check. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I went and... George was selling them. He's like, yeah, man, I don't know. This one's kind of busted, and I don't, I don't know. He was kind of, man. So I'm like, here, man, take, take this money. And, and uh, so I ended up having to, like, again, even though there were 1,200s, and, like, one of them was half busted, so I had to, like, learn how to f- fix it. Yeah. Again, pre, pre-internet era, so there was no manuals or nothing, you know, so. You think you were one of them kids, like, back in the day, like, you know, put a Take a radio, take it, oh, take definitely. it apart, and then put it back together. Definitely. Okay. Well, like, that definitely helped you out when when it came to broken shit. You know what that you would buy. Walkman was broken. Had to open it up. Use a rubber band instead of a you know the you know find a way. Yeah. So yeah, that that definitely helped me out. And it, and and because I did that, a lot of other people who wanted to DJ would ask me like, oh, could you fix my turntable? Could you? One of my cables is bad. Can you replace the cable? Mm-hmm. So I, I would do that, and I made a little extra money, you know. So you're a master well. solderer now, probably. I am. Yeah. <laughs> when, 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 I, I, I would just do it, you know, uh, no, no instruction. But then when I got a little older, and I went to Columbia College in Chicago. That's where I learned like real technique. I learned how to read schematics, and um, I learned the more technical aspects of repairing things. So even still to this day, if there's something wrong. I, I generally try to fix it myself, and it's something out of my realm of knowledge, and I, I go and I see somebody else to fix it. But, yeah. So RCAs, you've been through RCAs, like, well, if you're changing those out. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've done my fair share, at least three pairs I've, I've changed out. But, yeah, I need, I need to learn. I need to self-ground them, my turntables, oh, yeah. because that's – well, I, don't, I actually don't even use them. The, the, the ground anymore just because I have the phase. Oh, you have phase? Oh, yeah. dope. Actually, mm-hmm. I was just looking at that 
uh, during the Black Friday sales. Like, oh, how, how much do you know what they're going for right now? Well, the regular price was three ninety nine, but the Black Friday sale was two ninety nine. Oh yeah, so it was a hundred bucks off. Yeah. Um, so, but even still, you know, it's, it's kind of a lot for something for a hobby that I'm not really pursuing at the moment. So. Yeah. But yeah, um, I heard really good things about it. Um, when we were doing the scratch nights, busy. Uh, well, actually, Jin had. I want to say it was either the first, the first phase or the second phase, the first models. Because when they first came out, they were still kind of Janky, in, yeah. in beta yeah. mode, and they were still testing. But um, recently, Busy said that he had ended up trying like the current version. He's like, man, he's like they're really good. He's like, I, I'd almost say that they're better than using the the tractor vinyl setup. He's like, it's a lot tighter. He's like, it's almost like real vinyl. There's very little lag time and uh, he, he he liked them. So I'm like, yeah, I still have yet to mess with them. I have, I actually have two pairs. So I've never really had any problems. The only problem I ever had with them was uh, when DJ nonstop came and like, uh, he's really like picky about his needles. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? And when I couldn't get the fade to work, he was using the needles, but he's not used to the vibration and the jumping, like, oh. you know what I'm saying, that district. So he was like, he was having trouble. But I, I couldn't tell the difference, like, but he's like, I'm guessing he's a, like a super. He's a perfectionist. Yeah. This is DJ Nonstop, who was actually DMX's tour DJ for a long time. And he does a lot of radio stuff in Chicago. So he's yeah. very like, I would say more like a, really a career DJ. Like yeah, DJs for a lot. sure. Especially DJing for uh, DMX, RP DMX. And another thing, man, I, I, like you guys were telling me on the way in here that Virgil Abloh died, and is that that's a true? That's true. It's everywhere. Yeah, that's a fact. Uh, I think one of these days we'll definitely have to. He's someone who I always wanted not to get too far off, but I always wanted to speak to him because I know that he DJed here mm -hmm. in Rockford with Vic. And Mediogre, uh, they did a lot of record digging and a lot of DJing and stuff like that. I believe there's actually even footage somewhere has, someone has of him DJing at uh, Blackhawk Park for one of the really early Grills and Skills. Really? Mm, I'm wow. almost sure that's existent, so I'll I'll personally come back and touch on that. Cause it's, but uh, R.I.P., man, for real. R.I.P. to him, man. Um, I wanted to uh, tell a story real quick. Um so I don't know if you, I don't think you were there, but when we had a hip hop congress, we did an event at Rockford University where Ninth Wonder came, mm -hmm. and we had a scratch battle. Um, and Seco actually showed up. Were you there? No. no okay, no, you I weren't there. You weren't there. But I, I, I got, no, he, he wasn't there. Seco showed up. He showed up late. I remember you were a judge somewhere though. I could have sworn you were a judge at a scratch battle or no, something. Or unless uh, I can't remember exactly, but I know like. Uh, I can't even remember. Oh, Sneaks, Sneaks was there. Sneaks came from Chicago. He won because yeah, he he's won. a I mean, he's a scratcher. But uh, you know uh, you know Sweck, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Shout out to Sweck. But yeah, I shout out Sweck. He, uh, he he had messaged me like a day before, uh, like on Facebook or some shit like that. And he's like, "Hey man, like is Solar Sea answering?" I was like, I don't know. I think so. I was like, man, we're fucked. <laughs> like he legit, or you know, he said something like in, maybe in Spanish, you know, this cholo oh, yeah. or something. <laughs> but uh, you know, my my point is, um, he knew, he knows your your skill level, you know, um, and you're, I mean, you're you're humble ass dude, man. Like, and I get it. But uh, at what point do you think people really, or, or when was your like the height of your scratching where people were like really like noticing that that you were really above average when it came to to scratching? 
<laughs> when I started to quit. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I would probably say around 2005, um, right, around, right around the time when I, I, I wanted to start battling, I stopped hanging out with my friends. I stopped calling people back. I, I basically went into hermit mode. Mm. And um, I think it was, uh, I remember hearing somewhere that there's like a 30-day theory or a 90-day theory that if you give up everything, you know, entertainment, distractions, women, mm-hmm. wine, whatever, and you just focus on one thing um, every day, you will master it within 90 days. Something like that. Right. And um, I'll see you guys in 90 days. Then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, I, I did. I ended up doing that. I ended up like, but that's well, become a porn star. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was probably, and then once I once I really felt confident, um, I, I, I entered a, I didn't even enter, I got coaxed. I got like was like, DJ Loco was like, hey, they're having a DJ battle here at Elixir, come down here right now, right now. And yeah. I think I had just gotten off work or something. They you call your house phone, or do you have cell phones already? And we had cell phones. Okay. <laughs> um, at the time, I was I was working at Chrysler. I think. I think, no, it was right before I started working at Chrysler. But um, I said, you know, come down, come down, come down. So I, I ended up going down there, and I ended up winning this this DJ battle. And ever and, since... And at this point, you were kind of, like, slowing down? Yeah, it was. I had, I had re-entered college. I had gone back to college after, like, a seven-year hiatus. Because I went to Columbia College originally in the mid-'90s, and then went there for, like, two and a half years, and then I was going to take some time off. And that, that didn't end up going back like, to like seven, eight years later. But I had kind of was, um, you know, kind of on the uh, taking a step back from DJing and started focusing on my studies. Um, but yeah, that's when when people really started to notice that, uh, you know, I had grown as a DJ, as a scratch DJ. So I would probably say around 2004, 2005, maybe. That's when the light, the stars aligned, people started <laughs> noticing that you were. Yeah. You are the shit. Yeah, when I when I won, and then because with Elixir, uh, if you win or they give you money, they want to obviously, and it was uh, they want to publish it and they want to you know promote it, and I want to say they had sponsorship from I don't know, a liquor company and equipment company or something. So my face was everywhere on on social media at the time, which was MySpace, and I was you know holding this you know four foot high trophy. You know, with girls, I don't know, like models around. It was just really weird. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so ever since then, people were, started paying more attention to me. And, uh, and yeah, ironically, that's when I started to really step back. And mm-hmm. then because I stepped back, there was, there ended up being like this growing mystique yeah, around yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's oh, what it, well, that's exactly yeah. what I was talking about at the beginning of the, the <laughs> fucking monk mystique that you got because it's like you, you every once in a while you'll, you'll pop up you know that, that I, was it a Sunday or a Saturday that we they had that the, all them turntables and shit set up and he came out scratching yeah Q, was, Q yeah. and Sesh what, yeah one I, of them yeah uh, yeah. yeah was I think it at the I, there was one that went it's to on Third the, Street yeah yeah that that one and uh, the one that Culture Shock at Culture Shock okay yeah. okay yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, and you know, my wife really tries to push me to like go go out and you know yeah. get out there because she knows that like that's a you know that's an important part of who I am. And but a lot of times I think like oh well you know that's not a priority to me you know 
doing this or that or mm-hmm. is, is a bigger priority. But she, you know, yeah, go out, go check it out. And so I'll go everyone every once in a while. And everyone's like, whoa, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get their I'm phones like, out. And shit. <laughs> it's like, man, <laughs> I keep yeah, telling I got, people, I got, I got footage. I'm like, it's like my my reputation supersedes me. And really, shout out to DJ Loco and and my boys from the crew. They always they're always keeping that going. Yeah. I don't know, but uh, yeah, he's. He, I, Loco said it on the podcast too when he was on. He's like, yeah, he's a homegrown Rockford scratch DJ. You know what I mean? There's no Chicago, nothing, nothing influence other motherfuckers. They come and train them, nah, nothing. He yeah. just went and became a monk. Self. Ninety days, baby. <laughs> and even even with uh, like internet and stuff, man. Sometimes I try to. I'm like, man, I really want to learn how to learn how to do the the autobahn scratch or something. And I'll try to watch. <laughs> I'll try to watch it. And I'm, man, it doesn't it doesn't click for me. I still have to learn it just by listening to it. Mm. You know, sometimes, sometimes, and sometimes they really over explain things and break it. Like, you're gonna do a dice with two pullbacks, a chirp, of one fair orbit, two clicks. Back. I'm like, man, j- just do it. Just just mm. you know, don't. So talk. you 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 obviously that's how you learn. Obviously from just listening to the shit and then. Playing it, playing it, playing it, it playing it, playing it, playing it, it over. Sometimes when I when I scratch, I get really self conscious because I do a lot of drills. Like when I, if I'm just like I'll do a hundred one click flares in a row, you know, like I'll just just do one thing. Yeah. And um, like if I'm doing a warm up, or I'll do you know two click flares over and over and over and over again. And sometimes when I scratch, I I, I got to kind of catch myself. To make sure that I don't get into those into that mode where I feel like it just sounds really repetitive. So, um, yeah. But uh, learning a new technique, sometimes I just need to just listen to it and then listen to myself trying it, and I'm like, it doesn't quite sound right. And then, um, what's what's some advice for some guys like us that you know we're decent already um, on like techniques on to get better at scratching? Well. Um, like one thing you just said right now is doing a hundred times like drills, a certain drills, r- drills certain, mm-hmm. certain 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 uh, basic yeah. scratches or whatever whatever scratch you're trying to learn just over and over and over and over. Yes, um, uh, I'd probably say you know really focus um, doing the drills. Like if you're gonna learn if you if you find a scratch that you want to learn or that you like. Um, Really focus on that one scratch. Repeat it if you need to. If you have like the kind of turntables that have the super slow speed, sometimes I will take the speed and, and slow it down, and I'll I'll even s- slow down the 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 scratch I'm using the turntable I'm scratching on, so that instead of ah it goes, oh, it's really mm. super slow, and then I just really take my time with it. And um, speed it up as you go. Speed will come later. Is that what it's they call ultra, ultra pitch? Is ultra pitch, yes. Okay. But yeah, learn the technique first, and then the speed will come later. Because I don't, I don't know if it's the same with b boying, but sometimes maybe you can do a, a certain move and not even think ahead of time that you're going to do it. You just end up doing it. Yeah. Um, like Hubert calls it, like the universe is playing you, where you're just like in the zone, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just the flow. It's just like a exactly. You don't have to think. It's just a, fl- a free flowing flow. That right. So you you want to get to that point where you develop that muscle memory, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you don't have to think about it. And then once you have that technique down, 
then you can combine it with other techniques that you learn as you go along. It's, it's kind of like learning how to speak, I guess. Like you, when we're all little little babies, we we learn how to speak by emulating, you know, our our parents and our siblings, and then, you know, babies have a very primitive, you know basic talk and yeah. and as they get older they they become more articulate with our vocabulary it's the same with scratching well i'm still a baby when it comes to scratching <laughs> i'm still google gaga yeah it's uh it's sometimes it can be really challenging even even for somebody like myself that's been doing it for 30 plus years it's uh yeah it's it's it can be it can be difficult to focus and it can be difficult to um to get out of a certain habit, like if you're used to certain, your hands moving a certain way and you're trying to learn something new and your hands just continuously go back to what it is that you know and to, and to try to push your boundaries to try to learn that new thing, man, it's, it's hard. Indeed. What, what would you say if I, if I told you, hey, there's a little competition, you know, small, I don't know, 20 guys in Chicago. And I, I kind of want to, you know, take you out just to, just to, just, to, just you know, knock off the dust. You know what I mean? I'll definitely go to a scratch session. As a matter of fact, they used to have a, there was a group called Scratcher Chicago. And they would throw events where people would just be open turntables ah, and okay. it was scratching. And, man, I wanted to go to one of those so bad and I never got, I think, I don't even know if they're defunct now. If They, they were active on Instagram for a while. Mm -hmm. But Scratcher Chicago, I, I've always wanted to go to one of those open turntables. But... I'll go to a, you know, like a, that type of event. That, that gonna, type of thing. I'm not That'd gonna be battle cool. somebody. No, no, I guess, I mean, something like that. <laughs> yeah, But definitely. you never know, motherfuckers out there going to be like, hey, I want to test this, you know, you know, his <laughs> skills, you know. Just like a breaking battle. You, know? you see somebody out there that you kind of respect, you, that's what you do. You battle them to see, you know, how good they really are. Yeah, no, I don't know, definitely. I don't know. If, I've never been to a real scratch competition where. It's all scratch DJs, and I don't know if that that's how that that's how that works. Like, hey, like in a b boy battle, you just kind of point at him with something, you know. Oh, but I don't know if it's like, like yeah. that for turntables. The ones I've been to, it have been brackets, like side mm -hmm. by side. Yeah, yeah. But I know uh, they do a lot of like the round, kind of yeah. like the round robin. So style. that's that's what I said. Like like I've seen two, two go like one on one, go head to head, mm -hmm. whatever. And the final four basically, like or maybe like finally, I don't know. 16 bars, yeah. kind of like a rap battle yep. in like a circle till you get your last two or, you know, you go from eight to four to two or whatever like yeah. that. I definitely would like to see that from you. Sure. I'm down. Well, I'm for down sure we have the scratch practices, scratch sessions here. So that way I could try to fucking steal your, your moves and shit. Oh. oh, also another thing. Um, are you guys familiar with the... TTM, which is a turntablist man. <laughs> TTM, what the hell is it? Turntablist transcription method. The, Are you guys uh, familiar? It's like those, like like those lines, the zigzags. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember that. If you guys can understand that, that's actually helped me a little bit in understanding the timing with certain scratches. But again, it was just boils down to like getting into that zone and just repeating itself. You just said something right right now, but uh. One thing I really like about you, and and sometimes I hear other DJs that, that I, they do this, and I I don't like it. But when, when you scratch, you're always on time with the music. I mean, and I, and I think that's essential. something that's very essential. A lot of people scratching, and, and they don't hear. I don't know why they don't hear. Yeah, they go all over the place, yeah. and, and it, it just sounds like noise. Yes. Like oh, exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, 
my actual background before I even ever started DJing was was drumming. I used to play drums. Ah, okay. Um, well, that definitely helped you on time. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, my uh, my mom, she always wanted to learn how to play the piano. This was when I was like seven years old, eight years old. My uh, mom always wanted to learn how to play the piano. And at her, at her church, there was a, 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 a man who was, uh, he was like a retired, he was like 80 years old. He used to have a, a, an accordion school, music school in Rockford. His name was Vince Alonji. And he, uh, he was like, yeah, I can, I can teach you how to play the piano. <clears throat> and uh, he tried teaching my mom, and she just she couldn't grasp it. And she had no kind of background in you know music, music. music theory mm-hmm. or, or time signature, anything like that. And, um, but I would go with her to the lessons, and then she wouldn't get it. She would just say, uh, you know, whatever. If she paid for 10 lessons, then she's like, well, just teach my son to play. I'd, I'd sit behind the drum kit, and I would play. So she's like, teach him. So that's how I ended up on the drums. And then when I went to middle school, I took band. And then, uh, yeah, when I got to high school, I got on the turntable. So, I, I I can see that, man. I can see that that drumming definitely helped, you know, as far as timing and keeping on beat. Yes. So yeah. You got to accompany. It. Yeah. Ninety days. Get on it. <laughs> Ninety days. <laughs> That's just a theory. I don't know. I'm well, trying we'll to see. We're gonna test it. We're gonna I'm test trying. it. I'm gonna fucking come in here for <laughs> 90, 90 days straight. Don't talk to me. No gigs. I'm not even going to work. I'm sleep on the floor. I'm gonna sleep in this bitch. Oh man. No, but uh, I don't know. You got anything else to add? We're at a, an hour mark exactly. All right, cool. Uh, you know, my for me, my last question. Uh, you know, you know, Rick and I were. I would consider us like blue collar b boys. We work our normal jobs. Uh, we make a little extra money on the side. Uh, DJing. Uh, uh, a lot of for passion projects like this being in here is a for passion project really um but but, but we still have goals as far as like stuff that we want to do mm-hmm. and i know you mentioned you're more of like in like the hobby which is fair you know i mean I, I would even say like i mean this is a hobby you know we're not really getting paid to make these podcasts it's, it's fun no. and yeah. we get to learn and hang out and see people but you know for you do you still like have any goals as far as scratching or djing not really, um, you know. As as I've, I've, I've now that I'm married and I have a child, and I really, you know, I really look at my life and I really think about DJ. And I really don't see. Who knows? Perhaps maybe um, I could find something to do in maybe a production role or even contributing to a recording project. But I mean, as far as you know, making a living at it, I have no kind of illusions about that i'm just gonna work a regular job uh i mean i I really think about a majority of scratch djs and there's not really a whole lot of scratch djs who make a living just scratching and battling there's a you know maybe a handful um there's actually a lot more djs that make a living who who are mixed djs but um yeah i think um in order to do that or have that kind of lifestyle you have to have um uh, people who you have to have some sort of systems to support that, and uh, I don't think I don't think that that would work out. Would, would you ever? So, to that point, I think Cubert obviously is like the goat, you know, of scratching. Yeah. Uh, but I think he also probably makes a lot of income creating. True. A lot of the things that DJs use nowadays, even uh, like the butter rugs, which is like a simple concept, but it came from his camp. So with your uh, experience in DJing and your experience in uh, designing and engineering to the degree, would you ever think about designing something? 
Oh, absolutely. If there was a, if there's, I remember back in the day, I thought it'd be really awesome if somebody could come up with a small handheld device that had a disc that you could upload MP3 sounds and you could scratch. Somebody's already made it. But I, I had that idea, you know, yeah. 10, 15 years ago. But I would, de- I would definitely love, like, if I had a job with, like, a company to do, like, engineering or consulting or testing, and that would be dope. But, uh, you know, I, lo- I live in Rockford, Illinois, so, unfortunately. <laughs> well, we got to make that happen. <laughs> well, we're going to design something. We're going to copyright it here. Right, right. We're going to be our, our tester, for sure. So, yeah, unfortunately, I just end up working in the automotive industry. Hey. <laughs> but, yeah, whatever works. Maybe uh, something when you're driving, right? <laughs> like, instead of your like your uh, instead of your uh, your handle, the your shift, gear shifter, you got like a scratcher. We can sell that idea to Tesla since the car drives itself. Right, just, right. That'd be cool. I, I mean, I, I think I've seen like videos, not necessarily of uh, the driver, but the passengers, and they're just like that's the thing. I think with the with a little uh, handheld. Uh, Controller and little turntables, whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you like those? A little. Uh, have you used those? The little like Newmark's PTO one scratches. And- oh, when we when you have scratch night at Jam and Gins, there's a couple people that were brought. Mm-hmm. Like my boy Ken had an Omni. Yeah, yeah that, I believe. Yeah. yeah, that's. I think that's the one I want to get. That's the better. Like yeah, the better. Um, yeah. and somebody else, uh, a butcher had a. Uh, the old one, the, 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 the newer PT yep, one scratch one, um, they're okay, <laughs> and uh, you know I, I've I've tried a couple of them out, but I'm really heavy-handed, mm-hmm. and uh, the the plastic plat, even the ones that have them aluminum platter for yeah. whatever reason feel really wobbly Flinky. for me. Um, so I remember I, I kind of wanted to buy one, but then once I tried one, I was like. I think maybe I'll just save my hundred my hundred dollars until they, you know, if they have a portable that is really sturdy, then then that I, I might check it out. But for for the most part, um, yeah, I'm not too keen on the the port tables. I think it's an excellent concept. If I could afford to buy it, one of those Vestex QFOs, that would be my personal choice because I'm so heavy handed and I prefer the the 12 inch vinyl and. Uh, yeah, that's that's you know I would cut with that, but uh, yeah, port tableism is 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 dope, dope concept. But uh, you, know, you said the, the the controller though, like how's the scratch on there for you? Uh, does it feel too? It's digital? okay. Yeah, it feels really. Di- and plus, my laptop is like four or five years old, so it's a little laggy. Oh shit, mine's like eleven years old. So. <laughs> Yeah, and it's Windows. Uh, I prefer Apple. I prefer Apple, but I have a Windows computer that I have mm-hmm. the tractor on, and it's kind of old and needs you know upgrades and needs more RAM, and so it, it just ends up being like when I use the controller, I'm just mixing. I'm not, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not really scratching. Okay. But oh. any last words before before you know? Before uh, you any advice you want to give to these kids out here? Don't do drugs. <laughs> Obviously, Practice don't ninety do days. Drugs. Practice, uh, stick with it, um, even if you need to take a step back from something and come back to it, that's all right, too. But, uh, yeah, man, I just want to say thanks for, for having me on the show, man. Man, thanks really for coming it. on. Originally, I was telling Vic what I really wanted to do with you was uh, actually have a live stream out there. in the in the You know how we have little tables and chairs out there and couches? 
So originally I wanted to do like something where I recorded you, interview you, interview style, just like this, and then live stream you on that little bar we have out there. Mm-hmm. You know, turntable setup. If you want to do a set or just scratch session or you know whatever, I mean. That could be still be a possibility, but I, I, w- I wouldn't, you know, I would like to do that with you if right. that's possible. That's set dope, up, man. We'll set up everything for you. And, I'm down. Just let me know, man. And then, oh, and another thing. Now that um, last question. La- now that them shirts are gone, what 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 uh, what are you using now? Knockoff shirts. The Jenkos, whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, not even the Jen. Man, those are expensive. Those are the Japan joints, right? I, yeah, the. Uh, I, from what I've seen, the reviews, the Jenkos are like basically the same thing as the Sure. What I do is I just go on eBay and I just look up the, um, you know the the equivalent. It's kind of generic. It's still white. It's still, you know, um, it's, it's the same thing. It just is is the kind that's made for jukeboxes. So I'll use those for a while. And I'll, you know what brand it is? It has I think it's Pickering. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I just look up the cartridge number and then, um, okay. I just look for, uh, I might have to get that used. number for me because I need some, because of the order funds, I can't scratch with those at all. Uh, like the, con- the Concord, like yeah. the, the Eagle Talon mm-hmm. foot thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for mixing, they're great, but yeah. for, like on actual vinyl, I'm, well, I'm jumping all over the place. They, um, Ordifon just came out with something called like the. I don't know it's supposed to be a, like an equivalent mm-hmm. and it's it's mounted the same way as a, a sure yeah. and um i don't know what they call it like it's s-k-r-c-h-58 i have no idea what it's called but it looks similar to um the sures and um, people have been swearing by it also they they also host um like an international online scratch competition uh, just look up on Google uh, Ortofon Scratch Nerds, and uh, they have a competition every year all over the world. People just submit their videos and stuff of them scratching, and they give out prizes and money and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I, I'd like to check some of those out. But that's supposed to be, like, the next level replacement since sure is gone now. So, mm-hmm. But, yeah, use the generics, and then until I get something else, I'm I'm gonna keep using those generics. I mean, they work for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, all right, man. I thank you, man. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks for dropping the, dropping some knowledge on us today. Yeah, man. Anytime. But yeah, uh, shout out Vic for uh, helping Thanks me for out. Thanks for having me, man. It was awesome, awesome time. Uh, yeah. Peace out. Peace. Peace.